Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with a top literary manager, TV producer, and my manager, Charlie Gogolak. After working as an exec for Oliver Stone, Charlie joined the production management company, Bender Spink, where he was promoted to president within three and a half years. In 2011, he co-founded Softic Films with John Requa, Glenn Fakara, and with all three of them serving as EPs on a number of projects, including the Emmy-winning mega-hit, This Is Us. Charlie is joining us to discuss what it means to be a literary manager in Hollywood today, as well as a producer, and how emerging writers should be curating their career to prepare for representation. We got some great questions from our uh, listeners on the Facebook page, and we're really excited to have you here, Charlie. Thank you for coming. Thank you all for having me. It's a treat. Welcome. Well, I, 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 I think we warned you that we start each uh, podcast with our week. Are you up for this or up for sharing your week? Uh, as long as I don't have to go first. No, you don't. Lorian always goes first. <laughs> Lorian, how was your week? It was Good. Um, I have a lot of projects going on and I have different roles on all those projects. So um, lately, and I've been talking about this a lot on the show, I'm really trying to focus on centering on what's important to me while also managing notes and other voices and other people's needs. So I'm writing my own project, uh, two projects. I'm co-writing with somebody else and then I'm show running another project in development. So each of these requires a sort of different version of me, right? On the pro projects that are me, I'm trying to really rock back into what's important to me and then listening to notes and hearing them and figuring out what that means and how that fits in with what I'm trying to do. Um, and then, you know, co-writing is a whole other balance and a dance, right? Trying to find the, the what's important to both of us. And then, you know, showrunning for me on this project is really important to, listen to what all the other voices are and what's important to them and to be very collaborative in that process. And so it's, it's uh, you know, you have to click in. We always talk about on the show, like have lots of projects going on, you know, cause you never know which one is gonna boil up, but that sort of clicking in between different projects is a bit of a dance and trying to figure out, you know, is this my project? Is this our project? Is this your project, right? So. Yeah. trying to figure out all those different roles and being able to bounce elegantly between them. Uh, that's really what I've been focusing on this week. Um, and it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow, which is also my husband's birthday. So I've been trying to manage all that. Like I do every year, it sneaks up on me like, oh wait, it's also my husband's birthday, damn it, right? So um, that's been very much on my mind. Um, and she's gonna be 10, so we're very excited. Uh, so that was that's been my week. Um, Charlie, how was your week? Uh, my week was pretty good. Um, you know, as you all now know, I'm sort of manager and producer. And so um, I 
had a good array of news on the whole. I had one client who got good news on a project, which their draft was well received. That's always nice to hear as a manager. Um, it's nice when your, your clients hear those things, you'll know they'll be in a, a good place artistically and emotionally. So that's always a plus. Um, I had another client who we staffed on a show, uh, really just worked with a showrunner and figuring out the show. But he's very happy to be doing that. Um, another client who declared he was off the grid. He was in recovery from his television show he used to run. And so he went to Mexico for a month and is not to be bothered. Um, I'm very jealous of, of that path. And then you get to do front, that? You get to do that? It, That's a I mean, thing. You you can remove yourself. I mean, some you might not <laughs> some op opportunities might not come your way, but um, uh, it's uh, I I I like that path when when you know anybody friends or clients or anyone else make make that choice. Right, it's good for their mental health and probably artistic health and all those things. And then I am um, I am trying to get a new show up and running, and we are sort of getting into crunch time, which is always a little stressful, but fun we're a few months out um, we've kind of been in this uh, cocoon of just working on the creative for a while but now the production realities are starting to invade so hiring department heads and there's a healthy competition for that and the budget never being quite what you want it to be out of the gates um, and figuring out where you're going to live when you have to go somewhere and how your family is going to cope without you and and, uh, and so that's all all happening and that's that sort of normal stress but certainly it's a stress yeah, but i'll say good yeah. stress because it's better to be working than not be working absolutely yes. um all right my week uh um mostly i'm trying to rest and teach myself to rest while the chopper has backed off a little bit i find it very hard to rest though um i have been thinking about my passion project and getting back to that and really kind of stressed because I have to be stressed, I guess, about, oh, I just don't know what to do with these characters. And I guess I have to do more research in terms of specific characters in the passion project. And I think I was, what I realized is that I was staying too high up. I was too 30,000 foot view and trying to see the whole series and how these supporting characters could have their own storylines in the whole series. And it was too much. It was just too much to figure out. So I was walking home from my coffee shop uh, visit. And all of a sudden I was like, I just decided, okay, I'm going to get really specific. Where is this character? If she was going to open an, an episode, where is she? And I saw her and I saw what she was looking at. And all of a sudden I knew her problem and I knew suddenly what it could be. So I bring it up in terms of sometimes you just have to let go of all the intellect and worry about what it has to be and should be, and just go down into a scene and see what the character has to tell you. Um, I also want to talk, we've been talking, Charlie, about I want songs and how I had everybody on the Facebook page post their favorite I want song, because I think it's very instructive to, especially emerging writers, to think about what wants are and how they express themselves in a movie, whether that, you know, whether it's a musical or not. I had a friend who was script I read and it's not a musical, but I said to him, just what would his I want song be? And he was like, wow, that is such a good question because it forced him to think about what would those lyrics be? What would the refrain be of his of the I Want song so that you can start to see it? And um, it was really interesting because, um, you know, thinking about it more and talking to a friend who's actually doing a musical is um, sometimes that I Want song isn't, it, the I Want song isn't about the situation. It's not about the incident. 
it's about their dilemma within that situation and incident. And there, it's almost some often a debate. Like if you think about Moana, I have this need and want to go out past the reef and sail, and yet I have to be the chief's daughter and that's real too. And how does this longing match up with my life? And then, you know, so she's within a situation, but it's more us listening to um, her emotional debate about it so that we understand and how those situations develop to come in and kind of wake up the character. Like I was talking to a producer and he said, well, doesn't the I Want song have to come out of their own agency? And I was like, well, not always. Often it's a dilemma has arrived in the story that's forcing the I Want song up, right? Like it's time for you to become the chief. It's time for you to do it. And you're like, now I have to really face this dilemma. Um, so that was just really interesting two things that came up in terms of sometimes you can get too far above it. Like if there's a time in your writing process to go at 30,000 feet and really look at it. And there's times to go much, dig down much closer and get really, really specific, both emotionally, what is the dilemma? How would those, what would that refrain be in an I want song? Um, and sometimes it was funny. Sometimes when you're talking to directors or writers, as soon as you try to get down into that deep I want, they start talking about the social issues or the incident. And you're like, oh, they don't want to they don't want to talk about this, which means I'm going to keep going, well, that's great, but let's just go back to this. Like, let's just go back. Um, and I had to do it to myself because your brains do it. Your brains jump away from it sometimes. So I was trying to do that to myself this week to go back, just get specific. It's not scary. Just look at one small thing, you know, bird by bird. So that was my week uh, craft wise anyways, you know, human Meg, life. I think our our uh, struggles are so funny. Like you're so comfortable in the 30,000 and I'm so happy in the details, right? <laughs> right? Like for me, it's always like zoom out, zoom out, right? Big picture. And, and you're, you're, I just think that's so funny the way we both approach things so differently. Well, I think, cause I had, you know, whatever, 10 years training as a producer and your job is to really see that big picture and help the creative get to their details you can bring details. I don't know, Charlie, you're a producer. I mean, of course you can bring your own emotional details to something to illuminate, but you're really not supposed to, you know, it's their details you're supposed to get to. Yeah. What, what's, what's your experience, Charlie, as a manager of that 30,000 foot view versus the kind of detail view when you're giving notes? Uh, that's a good, good question, of course. And, it, and it's a, always a healthy struggle, I think, for, for writers as they figure this out. My, my view is on a very basic level, you know, the writer has to connect with the story, you know, through and through. So what I want, you know, or might, might be interesting to me really isn't that relevant unless it's actually aiding and abetting the writer, right? So you can't force a perspective that's not there, right? It's got to feel real for them, for them to emotionally connect with the characters and the story itself and stay invested in all those things, right? Like it's, it's, their, it's their work at the end of the day. Um, you know, themes come in that 30,000 foot area. So I think there might be certain themes that appeal to you. And I would say to her, that's great. They should sort of drift around. But where it gets real is when you discuss the character, usually characters are pretty fallible, right? And that's what's interesting about them. It's like, can they work their way through this, right? Can they figure out what their want is? And then maybe you say, oh, that's not really what I need, right? And sort of distinguishing between those two. So. Um, I try as much as I can, you know, with writers to, you know, engage and ask questions, right? And try to see 
sometimes just talking things through will lead, lend to some clarity for them um, and, and figuring out sort of, you know, where their story actually lies. So uh, my view with them is to remember like fallible characters are interesting, right? Um, and everyone's that way and that's why you connect with the characters. So the themes and all that stuff, if it's too hoity-toity or too high up there or too esoteric or academic or whatever else it is, no, none of that stuff is gonna resonate or ever meet anybody unless they sort of connect to the characters. I'm not a, a little on a tangent, I'm not a big believer in likable characters. I think that's a, a Hollywoodism that is foolish, uh, but I am a big believer in interesting characters. Um, so if you want to see where a character ends up, you're going to go on the ride. Along that ride, you can touch on those themes that are interesting to you. You can go to that 30,000 foot place, right? And, um, and hopefully it doesn't feel like a sledgehammer to your audience. Hopefully it just sort of washes over them as they're going on that journey with the character. All right, we're going to ask you questions now. Um, some of them, uh, we want to start a little bit basic because again, a lot of our audience is emerging writers. So um, a, a couple of different people, including Stuart asked, you know, what is the difference between a manager and an agent? Are there distinct differences in the relationship to the writer? Uh, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll go through it, which is a, a, you know, which I do of course from time to time. So first of all, all these answers are gonna be generalities because there's no hard and fast rules in Hollywood. It's just the way it goes and any, any given person can be the exception to the rule, uh, and there are a lot of them. Having said that, the way I generally try to explain it is that agents cover the town, right? They know everything that's going on, and they uh, have a wealth of information at their fingertips if they're at a, at a well-run agency. And they all have different infrastructures and in how they do that and, and everything else. But, and I think of managers as really covering the client, right? Knowing the client, really well, knowing the client's strengths and weaknesses and what's going on with their family and their, you know, where they are emotionally or wherever else it might be. Um, and in theory, if you have an agent and a manager, they're working well together where the agent is bringing things up and bringing things to the fore and the, and the, uh, the manager knowing what the, who the client is and what they're about is helping them sort through those opportunities. Right, or figure out what's right, what's the right path, where will they succeed given their personality and the personalities of whatever the producer or studio executive might be on a given project. Um, that answer sort of assumes that somebody's career is a little further along, right? That there's opportunities coming their way. Um, at the you know, at the onset of your career, frankly, as a as a writer, you are trying to get somebody to get invested in you, period. And get in the game, right? Have someone actually try to sell you, of course, be hired for something. Um, so it's a little bit, at the beginning, it's a little bit more of a, a mishmash, honestly. You're, you're just trying to be noticed and, and be noticed as a, a sort of a talented person. Um, and often managers will get in first, right? They'll sort of recognize a voice and know they can't quite sell somebody right away, right? but they're gonna develop them. Um, and then maybe one day help them, you know, you know, find an agent or whatever it might be um, and get the team up and running. Um, and in that scenario, the managers to me that are the most interesting, and it's the way I, when I take on clients, the way I approach it is the manager, I think more than anyone else, but again, it's a gross generalization, but more than anyone else has to really get your writing, right? They have to really appreciate it. 
right? And, and be interested and interested in what you have to say and how you say it and what's unique about you. Um, because then they're all, if that's who they are, they're always gonna be in your corner because they're gonna to wanna to see what they can do with that career. Sometimes there are people you'll come along with the script and the script's pretty good and they'll just think, oh, I can sell it. They're looking for the deal. And the problem is if the deal doesn't work out, right? Then there's, there's no follow-up on you. Right? They're like, oh, okay, let me see if I sell this and make a little commission for myself and make my year a little bit better. But there's not that sort of thing of like building a career and taking this person from A to Z. Um, again, I'm gonna sort of wander around. So, you know, the relationship with the manager is a little more intimate, um, but a you know, great ma manager and agent actually work really nicely together, right? They sort of, they, they kind of perform different roles and, and usually, you know, um, sort of hand off nicely to each other when it's when it's really working well uh, but it takes a little while to get to that place hey everyone so the new version of final draft final draft 13 is out and you know the question's going around is it worth it is it worth it to buy or upgrade and our answer is yes so i recently got notes on a pilot and i want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes and usually what i do is you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. You were saying that, um, you know, when you find that writer, you're like, okay, I want to develop this. Maybe they don't have anything to sell right now, but I love their voice. I love their point of view, what they're saying. So, you know, of course, lots of questions from both Erica and Louisa specifically asking about how do you find that and choose that talent? You know, what, you know, what makes a writer stand out? Um, is it queries? Is it recommendations? Is it just the work? So I guess there's two questions there. How does work get to a manager? How do they find them? And what makes a writer stand out? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard as a writer sort of coming in, you know, you can sort of be making cold calls and sending emails, but generally speaking, um, is some form of connection somewhere along the way, right? A personal connection somewhere along the way that gets a manager who's working in the business to actually read the script. Um, and I, I wish I had an easier answer to that. I mean, there are certainly contests, right, that, that people can enter and managers come through that. And, and there are, you know, classes uh, that people take. And sometimes people run those classes will have a certain amount of connections and make recommendations. And, and you know, try to help out those students. Um, and the managers, likewise, are are 
you know, knocking on those doors looking for clients. So there's a number of sort of different ways to, to get there. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, what I look for when, when something does come across my desk is it's what I call voice. Um, it's that something intrinsic in the writing that sort of captures you. Uh, I don't know, frankly, if it can always be learned. I think it could be honed. I don't know if everybody, you know, everybody can have it. There's a reason why some people are writers and some are not, and some are very, very successful writers and others are, are uh, doing well, but not quite, you know, at the, at the heights of others. Um, and so voice for me is, it's when I connect with the character. And I usually can connect with the character in 10 or 15 pages. And if I don't hear that character's voice and don't, you know, start to feel them, right? Then I generally speaking won't read a read a whole lot further. So, um, you know, it's it's art, right? Everything is very subjective. Um, what I connect with, some other somebody else may not, and vice versa. So, just because one manager doesn't get it, um, you know, or, or ten managers don't get it, it doesn't mean that you won't find the one that does. And, uh, and you gotta just sort of keep plugging away. Jeff, you had a question about this specifically. Do you wanna jump in with your question about the query letters? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what we read online often is like, as a new writer, if you've won contests or gotten good coverage on the Blacklist website, or maybe even shown up on a list, is the query letter a viable way to get a manager's attention? Just like cold sending a letter with a short bio, what you've written and some information about maybe contests you've won, in terms of getting recognized by a management company? Yeah, it's it, it depends on the manager, frankly, and what's going on in their career and how busy they are and what they're looking for. So for instance, like my client list is pretty full right now. So it's very hard for, I, I don't carry a big client list, but for, because I do a lot of producing, I have found sort of a, a number where I feel like, okay, I can handle these clients if everything goes sideways and my producing gig at the same time. And that's for me is my balance. but. Every manager is going to have that, that, you know, if they have a ton going on, they're probably not even paying attention to query letters, right? If things are a little bit quieter, then they might say, hey, you know, I'm going to give this a read. It's not a bad idea to try to, if it's just a, a cold email in, to try to figure out their assistance email as well. Um, so, you know, occasionally something will come in and I'll say, oh, it looks kind of interesting, you know, and then we usually send out a letter you know, from a lawyer, which, which you know, for the, for the submission, right? Because the world is so litigious nowadays. And okay, you admit that you're saying this to us. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that, you know, sort of going on. So make sure there's no issues there, but it, you just never know when, when you'll get a little bit lucky with it. So I think it's, I think it's definitely worthwhile. Um, and it's just catching someone in the right moment. So like as a follow-up to that, are there like mistakes with querying? I mean, like there's always that like delicate balance between like being persistent and being seen, but not being annoying. Like I was an intern and I've seen executives roll their eyes at that writer who sent six queries in one week type of thing. So I don't know if you can speak to that delicate balance between getting someone's attention and putting yourself out there, but not being that person. Um, I'm not gonna have a great answer there. Cause again, I think everyone's a little bit different the way it's received. You, you can definitely, Look, we are in a we're in a business of sales, right? I, mean, I guess I suppose most businesses are that way, but ours very distinctly. And you know, there are some people who respond to a hard sale and some people who don't. I don't respond to the hard sale, right? And I can, you know, when the fluff is coming away, I, I can see it and I generally don't dig it. So if somebody is 
if I get that email says so-and-so is reading it and they're about to do something, but I thought I would get it, then I'm like, oh, good luck with the other thing. Great. Sounds great. <laughs> you know, and I go that way, right? I mean, you know when you're being physician. So, you know, it's um, uh, not everyone obviously approaches the same way as me, but, but I think there is a, a tipping point with people, right? And, um, and you have to understand that every time you send a script to somebody and you really want them to read it, whether it's a representation, um, but also for friends or people who are in the business who can be helpful is it's a couple hours out of their day, right? If they're really gonna read a script, particularly obviously if it's a, a feature, a little less if it's a, like a TV pilot. So I just, there was a stage of my life where my family, right? Would send me like four scripts to read, right? And say, hey, can you read? And, and I get them like every week from like a friend of theirs, a friend of theirs. And I'm like, hey, just, you know, like this is my Saturday. I've got three children, but you're asking me to put in eight hours of extra work right, for your friends. I don't ask you to do that for my friends, right? And was it wasn't until I sort of put it in that frame of reference for them, like, hey, I've got three little kids who I'd like to take to the soccer game and, you know, take to the park or do whatever else, but you're making requests of me where I either have to be skipping dinners or doing this stuff. And so I just said, you know, if you're gonna make a request, like, you know, don't be just throwing things at the wall, right? Like, you know, we all, we all our time is, our time is precious. Um, and, uh, and you just have to sort of be aware of that. So when you are considering clients, um, are there specific contests that you notice or, uh, like how many scripts would you expect somebody to have when they come to you in terms of a client being ready to be repped? <clears throat> so, um, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I don't track the contests. It's not sort of where my career is at the moment. I think if you are, this is actually something to keep in mind if you are somebody who is getting represented is, um, I always say, that, you know, if you're a person who's getting in, you want the person whose career is not the top yet, right? You don't want the top guy, because frankly, they're in the decision-making stage of their career with most of their clients. They're not building people. You want somebody who is, you know, younger in their career, not just a younger age, but younger in their career as representative, who's still building their list and, and, and you know, is still trying to sort of sell and get out there and get clients and all that stuff. So it kind of, it's a different kind of, of hungry that's that's going on there. Um, uh, wait, hold on, Lauren, what was the original question? I got to get back to that. Oh, well, are there contests, but you said you don't, you're not, so you answered that one. And then I guess the second part of that with two different questions is, um, a person who is oh. ready to be rep, Right. Okay. So we yeah. talk a lot about on the show, like you need scripts. You right? do. You do. And um, it's always easier. I like to see a couple of scripts, right? Because there are flashes in the pan where they write something great and they just don't have something else. And there's two parts of that. When you try to sell someone, like your script is your portfolio, right? But it's only one piece. So if somebody goes, oh, I'm looking for somebody, you know, who's doing things like this. And I go, oh, I've got a great writer who can do thrillers and I can send them two or three thrillers, right? So they can go, oh yeah, this person kind of nails it again and then again and again. That's very comfortable for them, right? To then say, okay, I want to meet with that person or sell that person to my boss as a, as a viable entity. If it's just one script, that's harder, right? Because anybody, you know, you hire a contractor, you don't want to just see, you know, that one set of cabinets they build. You might want to see a couple of different examples, right? And and likewise, um, for executives in town, producers and executives in town, a couple of scripts are good and a couple of scripts within the same genre in particular are good. 
Um, there's always a lot of talk about sort of branding and things like that. I don't entirely buy that, but I will say that, um, especially when you're you're making your way in, if you can be writing within a genre or or you know, if you're an action writer and an action thriller and, and maybe a romantic action, whatever, it's all sort of in the same world, then people have a pretty good feeling for what they're getting if they're going to hire you or take you on as a client, right? And, and if you're taking them on as a client, you're like, hey, I can sell them in this way, right? And obviously, if, if they're hiring you and paying you, right, they, they, they have a good idea of what you can bring to the package. So What's the hardest is somebody comes in and goes, oh, I have an action movie, and then I have a, a romantic comedy, and then I wrote, you know, a half hour thriller because I want to do something totally new. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. Like, and you might be great, but it's very hard. And somebody goes, okay, so let me read it. Well, what else can I read it there? So now you send them something completely different genre. They're trying to build a comfort zone with you. Um, and uh, it's, it's hard to do if you're a little bit all over the place. As your career grows, if you're successful, right? And you, let's just say you start, since it was my initial example, as a sort of a thriller, an action writer. And then, you know, and then you sort of, you know, you're working for a while and then you're sliding into more of a dramatic spot and then maybe a romantic. So it's then suddenly you can kind of build out your, your portfolio and be working in um, different genres successfully. Um, but, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. There are lots of writers who can dip, really write beautifully in different genres. But particularly at the outset of a career, letting people know what they have to work with. And again, being able to sell it uphill, you know, sell it, you know, within their own company or to their boss, right? It's, it's important to think in those terms. I just as a personal story to support exactly what you're saying, I had to look for a new manager. My manager went back to producing. So I was having lots of manager meetings and, you know, I have a YA feature. I had a one hour. I had, you know, I had a whole bunch of different stuff, but nothing was the same. And I, I met with great managers and people were like, we like your writing. We like you, but we don't know what to do with you. And, you know, what do you want to do? And I, and I said, you know, half hour dark comedy. And they're like, well, you don't have any of those. <laughs> so like the runway is too big to get you where you want to go. Cause I'd been hustling so hard and working and generating material that I wasn't focused. So, um, so I had to go write one, right? And I mean, before that though, I found a manager who was willing to, who could see the potential of that in my work. And then he was like, great, let's do that. But it really was hard to hear, right? You like my writing, you like me, I like you, but you don't know what to do with me, right? So you, I felt like I wasn't um, bringing as much as I could to the manager relationship, right? Cause I know it's about selling and how to sell me. Like, I know I can do it. They know I can do it. But like, how do we prove that? to a potential buyer, to, a, to an exec. And so that was a yeah. really good lesson for me, uh, humbling, of course, but also like, right, I have to always be doing this and I have to be doing what it is I want to be doing. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, focusing on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeff, one more question from Jeff before we move into actually working with a manager and, your, and the producer questions. But there's one last question from Jeff about this acquiring a manager subject. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Hollywood in general is changing so quickly. I feel like so many writers, it used to be only on the page where you could kind of see who they were and what their voice was. But a lot of writers are shooting things now. People are shooting their own web series, pilots, and even features. You know, they're like the micro budget features, a new kind of medium for emerging writers and maybe writer directors. But 
do you take those seriously? Like, have you, would you ever consider acquiring a client if they produced a feature or a short and like, let's say that feature short sells or performs well at a festival, like what would the benchmarks for self-generated material like that be in terms of manager interest? That's a really, um, I don't have a good answer. It's a really tricky question, right? Because the vast majority of Hollywood, I'll say, still works in a fairly conventional formula, right? Which is there are people who write and there are people who direct and people who produce and people who edit and, and you take up one of those positions for them. So again, this is all like gets to how can they sell you, right? In this, in this space. So if you are kind of a do everything person or you've made this thing, but you don't actually have a script that you ever wrote or you have sort of a script and even the movie is great, you know, or, or, you know, it's, you know, maybe well-directed, but so marketing, it's, it's hard for people to take the leap. I think if, as a director in particular, if you're making small things and something like that, some people will see it, right? I mean, you, like if you get a production up on its feet, that's probably the, the easiest math for someone to do in terms of at least representing you. Um, but there is, it, it's not necessarily fair, but it's, you know, I, I, I definitely dealt with a, a, a friend, a guy who was actually a friend years ago, who was like, well, look, I can budget, you know, and, and he had done it. Like he worked basically as a line producer, a producer, a director, and as a writer. And yet no one would engage with him because they weren't quite sure what he did really well. Um, he didn't really have a script and his directing stuff was good, but it wasn't great purely as a director. He's like, well, I want to do it all. And just no one knew how to handle him. The business is probably changing, frankly, in a way, and that, that, that those opportunities might get more and more interesting because, you know, the people who can figure out how to go do things at a, at a small budget level, there's going to be certain, you know, buyers and financiers that might be willing to make those leaps. And there's, there's a whole economy, you know, in terms of producing material that I don't participate in, right? People have their YouTube channels and, you know, putting content on there and whatever else. Like, that's, that's a great world. And I think there can be a lot of people coming up through there in doing things. And that's a lot of what my kids watch, but it's not the day-to-day -day of sort of my life. So I might be um, just not enough in that world to give a super intelligent answer. Um, but in terms of what I'll call sort of formulaic Hollywood, they kind of like to know what you do and, and be able to sort of track it. Um, Multi-hyphenate with some of those micro budget things early. It's just hard for them to sort of wrap their heads around. How do I go sell this person exactly for a much bigger expensive production? As a quick follow-up, and that's a great answer. I really appreciate it. Like the candor. Would you ever, like, if a writer were to, would you rather have them send you material or if they had shot something they had written, would you rather watch it? I, I, you're a lit manager, so that's very specifically on the page, I guess. I, I respond to the material on the page, you know, you know, by and large. If somebody wants to be a director, obviously, yeah, the shooting part is, is you know, that, that's obviously important. Um, but I usually start on the page. That's sort of. That's sort of my preference. Uh, so once somebody is working with you and they're in your stable as a manager, and this might, you know, this question kind of spans all the way back to when you started too, right? So you've had different, like you said, different, you were looking for different kinds of people and gathering your stable. Um, what does, what do you, what, what are the, what are the relationships that you've had with um, clients that have been fulfilling for you and successful? And then or what did writers do that didn't really help you, <laughs> right? Like, you know, well, like what is, what yeah. what does a writer bring to it uh, in terms of um, that relationship? You know, 
Yeah, it's that's a great question. And it's always the trickiest thing I sort of bump into uh, when I'm working with people at the beginning of their careers, because there must be a working writer. The, the writers that do well, I can say unequivocally, are the ones who will either love it or can't avoid it, right? So it's either they love to write or it's a cathartic process, whatever it is, right? It just, it just they have to do it. To, to stay sane and, and, and happy on some level. And the ones who really write because of what they are interested in um, as much as possible, it might make it slightly seem like a longer road, but those writers tend to do the best. Um, the writers that are the trickiest ones to deal with are the ones who are talented, like, look, I really need a sale, I need to do this, what's selling right now? Those writers are, you know, their, their voices get diminished quickly. They end up sort of chasing a deal, like usually a quick deal, which I understand because that's the world and they want their financial situation to change. Um, but in chasing a deal, often they diminish their own voice. They lose their voice a little bit. Um, and the other thing is too, is they're, they're not writing either a spec script or putting something down that would be helpful to actually sell anything. So Sometimes where I was like, well, I just want to go and meet on something and pitch it wherever else because I feel like it can sell and these type of things are selling. And then they'll go and do that and they'll kind of chase it for four or five or six months and, you know, and it won't work out. And then that time has gone by and they haven't added anything to their portfolio. Um, and whatever they were initially interested in terms of writing for something from their, you know, for their, from their heart, from their soul, whatever interest it was, that has not found its way on the page. And, and sometimes the process, I think, gets a little bit corrupted. Um, you know, writers who start to uh, chase um, things because they're selling or self-censoring, uh, that happens a lot, actually, self-censoring with writers. They, like, oh, this, you know, that usually uh, backfires. And, Do you think uh, that comes from a place of fear? A desperation of that urgency. It is. It's all those things. It's very human, right? I mean, it's it's um, you know, to be a writer, you have to. You, it's a it's a lonely grind, right? And it's and I, you know, I think this podcast, I'm sure, success and for others, you know, there are a lot of sort of essentially support groups with it. It's like it's it's hard. It's hard, and so a, it's hard emotionally, I think, for people, and then b, yeah, like you know, you're gonna go do it and. It's, people generally speaking need to earn a living so it's um you can see how things can go sideways for someone i'll just put it that way um, yeah and uh it's a delicate balance to try to sort of advise them and be responsive to you know their needs and their family needs and trying to you know either find the balance or pick your spots however you want to say it um and there's if there's one great theme i, I would pass on from my experience is there's no right way right um and I can give a lot of examples and, and Meg knows that sometimes we're discussing what do you work on and, you know, I can say, here's what's happening, but that's just me hedging a bet. Like, hey, this is what I see happening the most, right? But I will say my favorite thing when I read something is something that I don't see coming at all, right? And I'm like, oh, this is magical and this is great and I can sell this because it doesn't conform to anything, but it's awesome, right? And no one would say they were looking for, you know, whatever, whatever this is. And yet that's the most unique thing with the strongest voice that is the most compelling. And those are, you know, those things usually, usually find their way into the marketplace and do well. Okay, I have a question sort of as a piece of that. Can we talk for a minute about OWA's open writing assignments? Um, like what you were talking about, you know, I've done them 
And then I end up spending just a shit ton of time on them, you know, and I get yeah. myself excited and I get in it and I find my theme. And then, you know, there's one I worked on for a while. And then like, I don't know, the director went and did something else that was in October, you know, like it never, I never even got to pitch. And it, yeah. part of it feels like I'm glad I did it because I got to dig in and learn more about my process. But then also it's like, I, I feel like I wasted my time. I could have been doing something else. So how do you work with your clients in terms of finding that balance? Yeah, well, I you kind of just answered it, right, yourself, which is you, <laughs> you gain something, right? You start to understand your process in a different way from having to go through the struggles with it. That is invaluable. Um, and remind me to come back to that uh, later because it's, it's, it's instructive, at least I think from a representative point of view, when you're trying to get your people working actually trying to build a career versus just just get them you know a, a paycheck frankly um owa is this more uh by and large it's more in the future world um you know it does exist in tv with with um you know if there's if there's some some um, you know some intellectual property or something else that people people have but um yeah, I mean, it's it's a project that's usually down the road a little bit. So it's got some pieces around it. It might have a director attached. It might be a previous draft or two or three. Um, and so the appeal of that is usually people are ready to spend money because they've already spent money and nobody likes to waste money. So if you're down the road, right, they're inclined to hire someone um, and, uh, and move a project forward. So if you get in and you're one of six or seven people who meet on things, you're kind of in a very specific lottery, right? And that job might come your way, which is which is great. Um, so it's very different from writing a, a script on spec and really just not quite knowing where that's going to end up. Right? You have you have the, the you know the rails are are a little tighter in terms of you know where we are going with an OWA. Um, the flip side about them is they are those pieces that are around them that make attractive are also tricky, right? Because you had a director who disappeared. Uh, you might have uh, a producer on it who has really strong feelings about it um, based on, you know, some previous thing. You might have two producers on it who do not agree about the path. You might have a producer and a studio executive who also are on, uh, coming from it from, from, you know, different ends. You might have a producer who's been around for 30 years on it, a studio executive who really wants nothing to do with it, but is just fostering a relationship because their boss, boss told them to. And they're not really invested in it, they're just shining it on to keep their job, right? In the meantime, they're trying to get something else going. So... There's just a lot of factors, and that's when you know having an agent manager is, uh, in theory, helpful because they're going to try to sort through what's the BS and what's real, right, and uh, guide you on that process. Okay, this one's legit, and this one's real. This one's sort of fraught with danger, um, and it should just be an open conversation you know, with you about those things. And and as always, it's Hollywood, right? So. Uh, Sometimes for all the research and thoughts and, and, and you know, best intentions you have, it, it, it still goes sideways. And then sometimes I'll say, you know, I definitely said to clients, like, this has a lot of pieces around it that I don't like. And the client will say, I, but I, I love the project. I'm like, well, you got to go for it then. And then it'll go, it'll go great. It'll go beautifully. And all the pieces that I thought were problematic will come together and work, work in a nice way. So it, it goes both ways, um, without a doubt. I would say that. Um, you learning about your process, uh, all that is just, it's just knowledge and uh, experience that finds its way into the next thing that you do, right? You'll recognize, you know, where the guardrails are faster, 
you know, who you have to maybe massage a little bit as a writer uh, that you might not be able to blow one thing up or another. It's just, and that's all born from experience. And that's sort of, I'm going to go full circle and say the thing I remind, to, to remind me of, I'll just sort of say this, that sometimes the greatest disservice you can do to a young writer who's written one script or another script, but doesn't know their process well is to put them on a high profile project. And everyone likes that sexy new thing that comes along where they go, oh, this person's great and they're new. And everyone like, you know, executives like to build their careers. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hire this guy and then they're going to be my guy or woman or whatever it is, right? And, and my career is going to rise with them. But if a writer doesn't understand their process in particular, then they flail in that scenario, right? They're getting notes from nine different sides. They don't know who's to pay attention to, who's not. They get, you know, and they can lose confidence and they can lose reputation really quickly. So I, I'm always super cautious of putting a writer in a position to uh, work too quickly if they don't understand their process and they haven't str struggled a fair amount. I think they can sort of stumble onto a bad road um, and, uh, and it can be, you know, it, it can really sort of set them back quite a bit. Um, I like the writers who have struggled and have learned and have honed a voice and are, are willing to fight. And then when they get in the middle of it, right, they've been in it before in a different way, but they've been in it before and they can find, find their way through it usually. Yeah, I say sometimes to the emerging writers listening, there's a reason you're having to write all these drafts, all these different scripts, because you have to get, there's other tools you're learning so that when you hit the big time, you can do it. Like yeah. I don't, I could never have done Pixar if I hadn't done all the other things I did to even get there. So I love to hear that you agree and that that's, that what I'm saying is good advice. Is. And yeah. you know, the, the, one of the night, look, we're, we're sort of talking about like, you know, a little bit like some of the difficulties of being in the business because it is tricky, but I will say this too is, you know, for writers in particular, you can make things from whole cloth and writers get paid in this town, whether something gets made or not, right? Directors and actors can't say that. So it is a hard job. It's a really wonderful job as well. It can be rewarding and, you know, it's got a lot of things going for it that other, you know, positions in the town do not. So um, that should be reassuring, I hope, um, to people who are sort of out there and getting is that, that it's, um, you know, it's a, I always think it's a privilege to work in our business um, and open the writers. There's something really important you were saying too, that there are so many factors around any project that not getting a project doesn't mean what did I do wrong? It can sometimes, right? You should always be willing to investigate your process and, and talk to the people that you trust about what, what your involvement is in it not working for you. But there are so many other factors and people involved with different motivations that if you don't get something, it just means you didn't get it. It doesn't mean you're a crappy writer, or you fucked up somehow, or, you know, that, that sometimes it just means it just wasn't going to work out, Yeah, you know, and, think, and that you shouldn't I, let that hank you. You have your moment of mourning and you move on. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. And, um, and I think it's an important point to bring up, which is that, you know, there's a lot of moving parts everywhere. Um, and uh, and all you can do is you put your best foot forward, if it works out great, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's a town, because it's art, you know, particularly if you're further along the way and you've pitched or written something, um, it's always close to your heart. So it's hard not to take it personally. It's really, really hard not to take it personally. Um, and, uh, and you've just got to find a way to sort of, you know, 
divorce yourself a little bit from those from those personal moments. It's hard. There's no two ways about it. It is, and it never gets easier. Um, I wanted to, before we wrap up, to be sure to get to a question that we had come in. Um, one of the, at least one of the questions about your producing, Andrea, who it sounds like from her question, she is already repped and she's not an emerging writer, but she had a specific question about when you've got a show like This Is Us that has many seasons and maybe it's had back in the day when it had one and it's moving into a second or third. If a writer admires a show, is there any value in getting their reps to see is that is that room going to change? Is there opportunity there? Do those rooms tend to change? Do they not? Like how, in terms of a show that's ongoing, what are those rooms like and how, and how can a writer who's maybe not in it get in it or no? Yeah, they, they absolutely can. And those, and those rooms do change. I mean, again, you know, every show is different. So some are very, you know, bring back the same group quite often, but usually there's a, you know, Look, again, people's careers are moving up. So somebody who is kind of moving up the chain of show might go sell their own show and then suddenly positions open up or they might be asked to come take over and they're sort of, you know, moving up the ladder. So there is constant turnover in, in rooms for, for TV shows. Um, and yeah, you can ask your reps and say, is there something out there? And, 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 and they will press and they will try to find, of course, the most coveted shows, right? Are the hardest ones to get into, you know, for, for you know, for, obvious reasons. I mean, I've had friends and writers say to me, I, I'll work on Succession for free, <laughs> right? They're like, I love that show. I'll go, can you get me in it for free? I'm like, I, just so you know, you're like the 30th person who said that to me this week. You know, like, they're like, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the beauty of being an artist and really appreciating what somebody else is doing and want to contribute to it. But your, your representatives can get you in there. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, it's all sort of relation. There's a lot of relationships in this business. So if they have to know the right person in the right moment, right? That can open up to you. Um, it's, it's, uh, but those. I would think I mean, you'd want to get uh, in there to make the general so that when that person does their next show, you're there's somebody you think of, right? Because succession, who the hell is going to let you write a succession? But he's such a genius. You know, he's got other shows going. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if, which pool do you want to swim in, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, and, you know, the, the, another thing just for people to keep in mind as they, as they get into the business, and, and maybe you've heard me say this a fair amount probably, is there are no straight lines, right? So there's nothing, no job leads to this next job. But everything does tend to add up eventually, right? So you work on some show with some staff and that staff, you know, and you enjoy working with them, you're a nice person in the room, you're talented, hopefully all those things are true. Everyone's gonna go and do different things. And they go, you know what, that person was really great. And then they pull you into that one and you've moved up a level. And it just, it's a, it's a little bit of a club, right? And people who are talented and nice in that club, they tend to, you know, work their way up in the world. Um, and that's, I think that's a nice thing. Everyone has to pay their dues for the record. Um, but you pay them, you get in, you do good work, you tend to get rewarded. So my last question and the last question for you as a producer, and then we're going to wrap up is, um, so you have a client, they want to take a show out and you're going to be the producer on it. Mm -hmm. Or so maybe they're not a client because of course that can be happening too. Um, when do you put yourself, when do you um, think, yeah, this show can go, I need to produce it. Like for you, what, what shows do you like as a producer? What, what, what do you feel get excited about? Yeah, that's a, I, I, I'm, I, I never have a, a, a great answer to this because I always run towards 
characters that are remarkably flawed and, and shouldn't succeed, but still manage to succeed. So it's not a genre-based answer. It's not like, you know, I like dramas or half hours or action or whatever else. I, I just kind of like damage people, <laughs> right? Um, and I don't know why that is. So, um, you know, the, but I think it's interesting, right? I mean, if this, if, you know, if you're, if you're lead character slash knucklehead can work their way through something, right? Like that's, you know, in watching their particular path to do it, that's always interesting to me. Um, the business has changed a fair amount the last couple of years. There's a lot. Before it used to be very pitch centric. You can take a pitch out and, um, you know, and then you get a, a script order and you get a pilot order and then you get a series order. Um, you know, lately I've been taking things out where, where the writer has written the pilot script um, and has the pitch for the series behind it. And it's been, you know, series orders uh, sort of happening. Um, so, you know, if you can, if you can pitch well um, in either one of those scenarios uh, and, and understand what that, what it means to pitch well in TV in particular, um, you know, you can, you can go, you know, I'll, I'll take some, somebody in, in, in lots of different scenarios to go and do it. And, and sometimes I get attachments and sometimes I nod and it's just, you know, each one is a little bit different. Um, but if it's, uh, if it's compelling and it can, which can happen in 20 minutes and you can talk about your, your world that you're interested in, your characters um, and how they are going to interact with each other to explore what the space that you're interested in and give a couple of examples of what some shows might look like. You can, uh, you can tell a show. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Charlie. We always end asking the same three questions to every guest. So we're gonna ask you now, um, what brings you the most joy about your job? Producer or manager, either. Both. Yeah, they're both. They're both. Uh, to me, they're very similar. Um, it's the joy of sort of having working with somebody, and frankly, I think most of my stuff is as a facilitator, and seeing um, somebody who have a creative vision be able to pull that off largely the way they want to. Right, that is a great joy for me. Um, it is. It's hard in this business to do that but the highs are really high. And it's, you know, you, I, like I said, I feel like it's a privilege to work in a business. And if I can be part of that process and, and, and get a project there and a person there, it's really, it's really rewarding. That's awesome. All right, so second question is what pisses you off about your job? Oh, well, you know, you can, you can it, the, the hardest part about my job, I'll just say it this way is that um, because it's art, no one is right, <laughs> right? And so in my mind, you know, somebody who really shouldn't have an opinion can have an opinion and really dictate the way something goes at, at a given moment. And that can be remarkably frustrating. But over the years, I've gotten a little better about how to handle those things and how to steer around it and things like that. But, um, you know, sometimes you're beholden to uh, somebody in the works who's making things harder than they need to be. No All right, and our last question, Jeff, you want to ask? Yeah, Charlie, um, if you could be remembered for one thing about your job, or that could be, you know, one amazing piece that your client has had produced or a show that you've had produced, what would that be? Uh, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. When I discover, I will let you know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think in those terms, my brain can even go places in those terms, but, may, but maybe one day. 
I'm going to ask you. When I, when I figure it out, I'll come back on. All okay, good. Meg, well, let can, us know. I can hold yeah. you to that. I can hold you to that. Charlie, oh, thanks Charlie, so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, we hey. both, we're both syncing you at the same time. Look at that. We're in sync. No, well, yeah. lots of fun. I think it's great what you guys do here. It's, um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks so much to Charlie for coming on to our show. And thank you to, to all of you for tuning in. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash The Screenwriting Life. Also, please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. And check out our Patreon. And remember, you are not alone. And keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.